author Ron Chernow is probably best known for his work on Alexander Hamilton. I'm currently reading his work on George Washington. And as I make my way through this biography, I'm repeatedly just flabbergasted by the planning of our first presidents. I haven't even gotten to his presidency, the presidency part of the book yet. But George Washington seemed to have planned everything. He planned his strategies for land acquisition. He planned architectural renovations at Mount Vernon. He planned relationships um, and how those relationships would develop over time. He planned numerous military endeavors as commander. And of course, once he became president, he planned extensively in the spheres of politics and national governments. A secondary impression that I've had is regarding how many plans didn't work. How many of his promises didn't come to fruition? How many things didn't go the way that he said they would go or the way that he planned for them to go? Now, I'm not dissing our first presidents. I'm not throwing him under the bus. I'm simply pointing out that no matter how great a person is gifted, Nobody can always bring to pass the things that they have planned. Nobody can keep all of their promises. Nobody can not fail. And that's exactly what makes the text of our sermon today so intriguing. Would you please turn in your copy of the scriptures to Romans 11. Romans 11 defends the character of God as being the only being whose plans and promises never, ever fail. So you're, we're going to Romans chapter 11. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's page 946. Romans is the sixth book of the Christian New Testament, which, uh, which is the second half of the Bible. And Romans teaches us all about the undeserved, like we don't reserve this good news, the unmatched good news, the gospel of Jesus. There's nothing better than this. And the unstoppable good news of Jesus. It's moving forward. It's moving forward in Lancaster. It's moving forward in our state, in our nation, and in the world. Chapters 9 through 11 of Romans communicate the defense of the gospel of Jesus. So we're there in the, in the fourth section of the book. Particularly, the first ten verses of chapter 11, Paul was defending God's record with the Jewish people. Paul is defending God's character of being a promise-keeping God, a God whose word is sure, even though it looks otherwise at points throughout Israel's history. Christian, the walkaway thought for you this morning is pretty straightforward. God will keep you to the end. We're going to conclude our service in a few minutes by singing, He Will Hold Me Fast. There's no better comfort, there's no better motivation than to know that He is holding us fast. Now, if you're not a Christian, you're not a child of God yet, Paul argues for why God is worthy of your trust. Why you can trust God. Why He is worthy of you placing your trust in Him even for your eternal soul. Please follow along as I begin reading from Romans chapter 11. Paul says, I ask then, 
Has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he appeals to God against Israel. Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him, speaking of Elijah? God says to Elijah, I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. And David says, Let their table become a, trap, a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. Romans 11 is one of the most difficult chapters in all of the scriptures for us to comprehend. Theologians have wrangled over Romans 11 for centuries. There is a lot that is involved. Israel, nationally, individually. End times, the New Testament church, God's ability and God's sovereignty, man's individual responsibility. We're not going to break any theological ground as we make our way through Romans 11 over the next few weeks. But hopefully we'll see how it fits in to the whole of Scripture. Today we see, as we just be begin into the chapter, that God is the only being who keeps all of his promises. He keeps his promises to Israel. He keeps his promises to you. He keeps his promises to all of humanity. The truth, that truth, that God keeps all of his promises, is both sobering and hopeful. We won't get through all of Paul's arguments this morning, but here is an overview of how it kind of unfolds. First, there's a personal testimony of God's faithfulness to his promises. There is a theological reality about God's faithfulness to his promises. There is a historical illustration, remember we read about Elijah, of God's faithfulness to his promises. There is an exclusive hope in God's faithfulness to his promises. It's by grace. And there's a sobering warning about God's faithfulness to his promises. Now you don't need to remember all of that here at the outset, but that's the way that Paul explains that God has indeed not rejected Israel. So we're going to begin this morning by considering this idea of a personal testimony of God's faithfulness to his promise. Read, look at verse one, more verse 1 one more time with me. It says, I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. Paul asks a rhetorical question here. Has God rejected his people? Now, why would Paul ask this question at this time? 
The answer is precisely because all of the things that he has written about in the surrounding passages, in the lead up to, to Romans chapter 11. In Romans chapters 9 and 10, Paul wrote that the Jews were responsible for their, for their own rejection of Christ. Further, the apostle told us that some Jews had not come to faith in Christ because God had not chosen to have mercy on those particular individuals. Remember, God will have mercy on whom he will have mercy, and he will harden whomever he will harden. Israel did not succeed in reaching the law because they did not pursue it by faith, but if, as it were based on works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. Romans 10 ends with quotations from Isaiah reminding us that Israel has heard, that Israel has understood, that he did hold out his hands to a disobedience and a contrary people. All of that then begs the question, has God rejected his people? God had made specific promises to the cho chosen nation of Israel. And those promises were all rooted in the very character of God. God told Abraham that through his seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. There are some theologians today who believe that God is finished with, with Israel. Those theologians believe that God has rejected Israel or has somehow fulfilled his promises in different ways. So Paul asks, well, has God rejected his people? Then the apostle gives the most adamant response possible. He says, by no means, or some translations will say, God forbid, or of course not. We would say in the modern, no way, not in a million years, has God rejected his people. And that's where Paul's testimony comes in, after all. Who could know better, who would know better about God's faithfulness to his promises than the Apostle Paul? The closest proof, the most obvious evidence was for Paul to, to point to himself as evidence. You remember Paul's pre-conversion history. A highly trained Jew, but also a hater of God, a persecutor of the church. And that's the Apostle's point. God had not rejected him, a Jew. Of all the people in the world that it would make sense for God to reject, it would be the Apostle Paul. But God did not reject Paul. God had chosen Paul not only to, to, to eternally rescue him, but also to be the foremost ambassador for Christ. You remember what Paul accomplished he was an apostle to the Gentiles. Even now, as we read at the beginning of Romans, he was, he was headed to Spain, so he was hoping to come to Rome on his way to Spain to continue to do gospel-advancing work. What human has God used more for the advancement of his kingdom than the apostle Paul? Of, of all that Paul was able to communicate about the gospel to his brothers and sisters in Rome, this was most personal. He himself had experienced the transforming work of God's grace. God had not rejected Paul. God had not turned his back on Paul. God had not failed in his promises to Paul. Rather, God had been faithful to his promises. God had rescued Paul. God had chosen Paul to be his own child. Paul was a Jew. 
That's Paul's point when he says, I myself am an Israelite. That's important because Israel has, has rejected God. Through, had, there have been points throughout Israel's history, we know we, from the Old Testament, from the New Testament, of how Israel had rejected Jesus. In fact, precisely because Israel as a nation had rejected their promised Messiah, God set the nation aside for a time. But hear these words from the prophet Jeremiah when he speaks of, of how restoration will come at some points. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Paul wanted the Jews of his day to understand that Israel's final outcome in relation to Jesus would not be rejection. Paul's conversion was proof that God had not rejected all of Israel as, as a whole, finally and completely. Some individuals would be rescued. Brothers and sisters, this is not only true for Paul and for individuals of Israel. It is true for you, and it is true for me. Just as God had not rejected Paul or Israel, God, if you are his child, has not rejected you. He has made you his own. And because he is God, he cannot forsake you. Ever. God cannot forsake you. He is, it is impossible for him to break that promise to you. I want you to know in your hearts that if you are a God's child, God has not rejected and will never reject you. You belong to Jesus. So, don't look at your divorce and conclude that God loves you less. Don't look at your sexual failures and conclude that God is still holding that over you. Don't look at your wavering hearts and conclude that you are just on the, on the edge, teetering on whether or not God's going to continue to care for you. Don't look at your past failures and conclude that your eternal security is somehow up in the air. Instead, look at the cross and conclude what God concludes when he says, I remember their sins no more. Psalm 103 says, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as, a, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Brothers and sisters, instead of looking at your failures and concluding that God has rejected you or possibly will reject you, instead, look to the cross and conclude, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. 
God can no more reject you than he can reject the perfect payment made by his son on the cross. Paul's personal testimony, it gives evidence, it gives proof that God has not wholly and completely rejected Israel. Rather, Paul's testimony is evidence that God is faithful to uphold the promises that he has made to you for your eternal soul. God was faithful to Paul, he is faithful to Israel, and he is faithful to all of his children. God is the only being who keeps all his promises. He keeps his promises to Israel, to you, and to all of humanity. That truth is sobering, and it is hopeful for your journey in this life. Paul moves to the second piece of his arguments, that God has been faithful to Israel. He repeats the answer to that rhetorical question, and then he gives a theological reality of God's faithfulness to his promises. Look at verse number 2. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? He already has said, by no means. Now, the apostle Paul repeats his answer more directly. He says, God hasn't rejected his people. But with his answer, the apostle gives this theological truth, this reality, namely, that God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew, who he has ordained. God foreknew his people from eternity past. He made a covenant with his people. He, he foreknew. Now, foreknew is not just, uh, just knowledge, head knowledge. It's bringing it to pass. God is bringing to pass the salvation of those who are, whom he has chosen. There have been many times throughout Israel's history where they have turned their back on God. We can read in the New Testament Gospels and get example after example of, of the rejection of of God's son, Jesus. But Israel's spurning of Jesus was not a shock to God, was it? In fact, it's part of the redemptive plan that he has outlined for us. This is another display of the tension that the Bible presents. God's sovereignty over all and man's responsibility. Israel refused Jesus and his offer of of rescue, and God set his people aside for a time. Paul wants us to understand that God's word cannot and will not be broken. Israel was never completely and finally rejected by God. And as we continue to go through Romans 11, as we begin, as we think about it more next week, we will, we will see that God has a remnant of the nation that has remained true to him. God ordained his people the nation of Israel. He specifically chose them. And because God chose them, he foreknew Israel. He cannot fully and completely reject Israel. I love to hear stories of, of adoption. Maybe you have adopted or been part of a, an adoption process, and you, you love to share those stories. Adopting a child into a family is is not only a kind act of mercy, but it's a beautiful picture of the gospel. Sometimes parents are, future parents are presented with, with many children. Maybe they go to an orphanage overseas, or they, they have many different options of, of which child they're going to be able to choose to be theirs and to adopt into a family. 
I've heard stories of other individuals who are not able to care for their children, for their infants, and they make a brave choice to allow their child to be adopted. And so they are the ones who are looking through portfolios, and they are the ones who choose parents for their child. What an incredible privilege to be chosen among other children, to be part of a family, or to be chosen to be the parents to adopt a child. Friends, how much greater is it to be chosen by God? If God foreknew you, if God has set his special, unique, eternal love on you, you should be flooded with hope for your life and for eternity. If God has chosen you, he cannot reject you. He cannot turn on you. He cannot break his word. You can trust God. You can trust God. And that is what we want to accept to receive this morning. God is worthy of our trust. When life is wild and crazy in the world that we live in, when the darkness of discouragement and depression sets in, when the anxiety of our fears, maybe fears that nobody else is aware of, but when those fears are pressing in on us, we must remember that God will keep his word to us. He is worthy of our trust. I don't know all of the specific struggles that you are dealing with. I don't know the particular struggle that is hard for you right now. But I know that you have hope if God foreknew you to be his child. That hope is based on the reality that God will never reject you. I want to do something now that I don't do typically Sunday to Sunday. I want to read several different passages across the scriptures. And as you hear God's word being read, just let it wash over your mind and your heart, your soul. Let it be a stabilizing reminder that you can trust God. Hear God's word from Joshua. This is Joshua, Joshua's testimony. At the end of the book, he testifies, and now I'm about to go the way of the earth. He's about to die. He says to Israel, you know in your hearts and in your souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that your Lord, the Lord your God has promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. Listen to Solomon's prayer in 1 Kings chapter 8. He stood and he blessed all the assembly of Israel and with a loud voice saying, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he has promised. Not one word has failed of all of his good promise which he spoke by Moses, his servant. Listen to Paul's statement. Or listen to Titus chapter 1 verse 2. In hope of eternal life which God who never lies promised before the ages began. Or Hebrews chapter 10. Let us Hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Back to the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 12. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people 
for himself. Psalm 89, the psalmist about Israel says, If they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. But I will not remove, I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. Once for all I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever. His throne as long as the sun before me. Like the moon, it shall be established forever. A faithful witness in the skies. Psalm 94. For the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. Psalm 106. Nevertheless, he looked upon their distress. He heard their cry. For their sake, he remembered his covenants and relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. Psalm 105. He remembers his covenant forever. The word that he commanded for a thousand generations. The covenant that he made with Abraham. His sworn promises to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute. To Israel as an everlasting covenant. God cannot fail you. CEOs, parents, officers in the military, president of the United States, every other human being makes plans and promises. But no matter how naturally gifted they are and no matter how much power they wield, nobody is able to bring all of their plans perfectly to pass or to wholly keep all of their promises. God is the only being who keeps all of his promises. This truth is sobering and hopeful. You can trust him to never fail you. You can trust a God that, keep his, that keeps his promises. You can trust him for your rescue. Have you trusted him? Have you believed God's promise that whoever trusts in Jesus, that, that Jesus died in their place, will be forgiven of their sins? That's the gospel. Rebellious sinners deserve God's anger because we have sinned against him. Jesus died in our place, trusting that his death appeases God's anger, trusting that Jesus' shed blood covers our sins is what grants eternal life. You can trust Jesus' payment. You are invited, if you have not done that yet, to place your faith in Jesus. And maybe you have questions about that. Please see me after the service so we can chat. Christian, God knew you before you were ever alive. God chose you to be his child. God sacrificed his only son in order to make you his child. If God went to that length, if God went, did all of that, he will not fail you now. He didn't even spare his own son. Friend, all who are in Christ are kept by Christ. You don't need to earn your security. You don't, and you can't need to worry about that, your, your own eternal security. You can simply rest in the reality that God has chosen you and he will never reject you. You are not called to passivity. You are not called just, okay, whatever, I can't be rejected. I can live however I want. No. You're called to the peace, though, that results from this lavish promise that he will never reject you. Brothers and sisters, you are called 
to live in a peace that passes understanding that comes from the gospel of Jesus. Consider how your life would differ if you rested in that truth. There is hope for all that you do in this life because you have been accepted by God through, through his son, Jesus Christ. And God has promised he will never reject his children. May God help us as his children to rest in that peace even this week and to live in light of the promise that he holds us fast.